tonight what I want to do is more, it's, it's not uh, going to be a sermon, it's not going to be like a, um, a teaching lesson with three or four outline points. I, I want to give you some of the thoughts that are percolating uh, in my head, some of the things that I have learned and am learning or things I knew but are, are, are kind of like recrystallized much clearer for me as I'm studying the Trinity. Um, I have uh, read three books on the Trinity, um, and you can see what I do to my books because I have to write a research paper on this, and then I'm preaching sermons. So see all these various tabs, and I normally don't do this to books, um, but I don't really have a, a super good method for being able to go back and notate something later for a sermon or research paper. So that's that's what I'm trying to do here with all of these um, different tabs. That one I only had half tabs, but I've read it all. So there's about three books to go on this. Um, and one of them's 500 pages, so you can pray for me that I will take in what I need to take in. Um, because it's such an important topic, I am reading slower than I normally read uh, when I have a reading assignment because I want to read very carefully. Um, and, you know, when I was in seminary, we dealt some with the Trinity. Uh, I don't know what, Dave, do you remember how many lessons you were taught on the Trinity? Yeah, I certainly don't remember. That was, I started in 2000, graduated 2004, so too many sleeps since then to, for me to remember how many lessons I had. But, but what I do remember is it probably wasn't very many. I'm, I'm guessing two lectures, maybe, maybe three, maybe four, but, but not very many. A lecture would be an hour and a half. So I've never studied the Trinity at, at this depth that I am uh, currently and, and just, just loving it um, and, and digging in. And, and part, of, part of the reason why I asked that question about the mystery is because that's kind of where I was at before. You know, Trinity, um, one God, three persons. And I was kind of at the point where um, before I wasn't really challenged to press into the biblical scriptures about about the teachings of the trinity and before it was kind of like maybe it's a bit of a pragmatic approach meaning well I, I know i can't understand the trinity fully so i'm not going to understand it i'm not going to try to understand the concept at all other than one god three persons so my depth of knowledge of the trinity would have been very shallow um and, and so that, that kind of question kind of is more or less, I didn't want to put effort into something that I wasn't convinced we could understand more. But as I have read these three books thus far, it's really been a very good challenge. There is a lot of biblical data um, that, that we have to go on. And uh, there's much to learn about uh, the God that we worship. Um, there's a lot of heresy out there, and some of it's creeping into the evangelical world. Uh, some of the old, old heresies are being recycled um, in slightly different forms. So um, that, that's helpful to, to kind of think through that uh, from my standpoint to help shepherd and, and protect and, and guide the church. And at the end of this, really, the, the idea is not to have uh, academic lectures on the, on the Trinity. That's but to help you know your God better. And uh, it has been a, really a, a neat challenge to be able to, to read and to study um, the Trinity at, 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 um, at that depth. And I owe a, a thanks to you to, to, for giving me the time to be able to do that. 
uh, one, one of the texts that forces us to, to kind of contemplate the Trinity, and, the, and there are plenty of these in Scripture, but one I'm just going to mention tonight just to get us in the Word some is in Matthew chapter 3. The end of Matthew 3, we have the baptism of Jesus. And some of these things that are percolating, some of the examples or things I'm learning, you may hear some of them in a future message. Um, but I wanted to kind of share with you some of the things I'm learning so you get a sense that you're kind of learning with me. There's some thoughts are, are, um, are developing in my mind. I want to share some of those with you as well. So Matthew 3, beginning at verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So one of the, I guess, just some observations. First of all, notice Jesus is being baptized. And after he's baptized, he comes up out of the water. Um, heavens opened. Um, you know, what that exactly looked like, I can't even begin to fathom or tell you. What does that mean, the heavens opened? Was it a cloudy day and then uh, the clouds vanished? I, I, I really don't, don't know. Scriptures don't tell us. But in some fashion, the heavens uh, changed and as, as if it were a portal, portal from heaven um, opened up and the Spirit of God descended in some visible form. Notice it says, as a dove, right? If you see any movies on the, on the Gospels or on the life of Jesus, they might actually use a dove. That's not accurate. Right? So the Holy Spirit's not a dove, and he never took the form of a dove, right? So it just says he descended like a dove would descend. It's a description of the descent, not a description of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Some... As more detail, some of the other gospels. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. When you when you take the, the synoptic gospels, take the gospel accounts and compare them. So that was in you know, uh, Hakum was talking about the the account in Luke. But it's important because you know, in, in movies, picture books, whatever you see from kids about this event, the Holy Spirit will be pictured um, as a dove, but the descent is like a dove, not the bodily form like a dove. Um, and this voice came out of heaven, out of the heavens, and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So it's it's a it's a uh, one of those events where we see God in three persons, all the same event. So there is a, an, a doctrinal error out there known as modalism where that holds that God, there's one God and he just appears in different forms at different times, in different modes, which is why it's called modalism. 
Um, some modalists today would be like T.D. Jakes. Um, there are others out there. I did do research on who's teaching it, but that's just that's just one of the popular guys out there. Um, does the, the modalism does it shift in their teaching as needed? With God, one minute He's the Son, the next He's the Holy Spirit. The next. Yeah. So the question is 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 the is does God in that modalism does God shift the modes according to whatever action is going on in the scriptures or at that time? Yes. That according to modalism, there's one God, one person, and he just shifts forms, shifts modes. Whereas um the Trinity is one God, three persons. And so I'm sure they have some twisted explanation on how to get around Matthew 3, um, you know, the baptism of Jesus, Luke's account as well. Uh, but they would have to twist the scriptures to get there. So you have an occasion where you have Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. You have a voice coming from heaven implied that's the Father and the Spirit descending in some kind of visible form uh, on Jesus. So the three persons of the Godhead all at once. So it really kind of deals a blow to, to, to the idea of modalism because modalism doesn't teach that they're like three different persons. It's one person just changing modes. Um, and I think modalism comes in when people try to bring God down to an understandable, a certain understandable level. Right? So when you when you say there's Jesse, you have a question? Yeah, I was asking, have you ever heard of modalism over there today? No, I, I didn't go research uh what, how modalists would deal with this passage. But they have to twist it because the clear reading of the scripture is that there's three persons, one event, they're all doing different things at the same time. Um so it, it becomes Inconceivable, based on the grammar of the text, that 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 the, you know that that um, you could have a, a mode like, I mean, can you imagine just how contorted that would be? It'd be like in a game where you can switch players. You can't be all three, but you can be one of those. So you can't you can't do all three because that's three people, three players. You know that one player, and you have to switch players in the game. It's a bad analogy to compare a game to God, but I'm just that's the that's the one that comes to mind. Okay. <laughs> it seems like some of the teaching you have observed is the one that kind of bothers me. Is that they it, it seems like the manipulation is being put on by the teacher of that teaching. Like they are putting God, casting him in a way that fits what they're trying to get across yeah so if you watch yeah so what joe is saying is some of some of the teachers and you probably have seen more than i have um but they're 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 trying to 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 cast god in a, in a certain way according to their doctrine and sometimes according to their understanding right? so it's the the key here um remember what john calvin said and i've quoted him or paraphrased him many times that our our heart is an idol factory. Now, usually I've quoted that 
or paraphrase that in the context of like just our own internal sins that we create these little idols that we live for. But John Calvin also applied that to our concept of God. So that as we think about God, we tend to think he is like us. And so we kind of cast that, our understanding of humanity, personhood, we kind of tend to cast that back onto God in our understanding. And that's a, that's a, it's a big mistake theologically. So I don't like the, the, the idea of the word, I should say, not the idea, but the word of person. We say the Trinity is, is one God, three persons, because my understanding of personhood is only what I know from living. You know, I know how to interact with persons, but we're totally separate persons, right? So when you talk about God, if one God, it's, and, and others have used instead of persons, um, um, I'm trying to think of the, the name, I can't think of the, the theological name, but it's not really all that helpful to me either because I really don't understand it, but it's, a person is probably the best, but we have to, we, sometimes I think in our thinking, we end up as tridiest in our practical outworking. We, we think about the Father, we think about the Son, we think about the Holy Spirit as almost like they're three gods. We're not that way confessionally, but sometimes in practice as we think about God, you know, well, well who should I pray to now? The Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit? Uh, does it even matter? Or if I pray to the Son, does the Father get jealous? If I pray to the Holy Spirit, does the Son get jealous? So, and, and if they were totally separate persons, you might, you might have some of that. Because um, God's a jealous God, right? He's not going to share his glory with another. So the whole idea of how does one God manifest himself as three persons um, is, is something that's not easy to understand. And yet I want to encourage you that there are, there are scriptures that help us understand God beyond the just simple three and one. And, and, it, and he's, he's a pretty marvelous God. There's a very specific, um, I guess, implications flowing out from the Trinity that are marvelous, just absolutely marvelous. This little book, um, The uh, Delight in the Trinity, so uh, Charity has, has read that, and um, by Michael Reeves. But really, it's, a, it's not that big of a book, but it is helpful to understand the implications of of the Trinity. So just, just to let you hear some of what I'm learning. So think about, think about God and God in eternity. So, and then think about how God reveals himself to us. So he reveals himself by, by the, the, you know, the term God or uh, Elohim or Yahweh is his name. Um, there's, there's uh, what I call shadows of the Trinity in the Old Testament, and we'll talk more about that at another time. But, but think of the Trinity as something, something like a. Uh, imagine the description of God being like a fully furnished room that's dimly lit. And then as we progress through Revelation, and especially as you get to the New Testament, the lights in the room become a bit brighter, and you begin seeing the different features of the room. So that, that's, that's one analogy that, that scholars have used uh, 
you know, pastors have used in the past to try to describe the Trinity. The Trinity has always been the Trinity. Um, but he has not always been as clearly revealed as he is to us today through the, through the New Testament. But there are glimpses of the Trinity in the Old Testament as well. But, but just, just to, to get back uh, to the point, so, the, so God reveals himself beyond the, the, you know, the names uh, before, besides Yahweh, besides God. How, how does God reveal himself in these persons? Father, Son, Spirit. Those aren't inventions of man. Those are how God revealed himself to be. Now, there, are other, there are other descriptions, but those, those are repeatedly used of God. And, and at some point in a future message, we'll, we'll look at, at, at you know, why the Father must be the Father, why the Son must be the Son, why the Spirit must be the Spirit, and why God revealed himself as such and the, and the significance for that. But, but some of the, um, I want you to see just a little glimpse, and I got a lot of thoughts running around my head, but what I want to do is point out some things. One of these is what difference does it make that God is Trinity and not simply one person? Well, here's, here's some implications of that. So the God of the Muslims is Allah, and there's some people who say that Allah is the God of the Bible. But that's not true. Because Allah is only one person. They're very, very clear in the teaching of, of Islam. So there's only one, and one person, one essence, one person, according to, to um, Islam. So just think about that a minute. So if... if if Allah is the creator, why did he create? If Allah is the creator, and they say Allah is love, just like the scriptures say God is love. But if Allah is love, and he's only one person, how is Allah love before creation? Because love, you can't love what doesn't exist. In the beginning was God. Creation didn't exist. Very hard for us to fathom. But in eternity, God was. And a key characteristic of God is his love. It's, it's not that he takes that action. It's that that's who he is. It's impossible for God not to be love. Um, and even, even you know, Islam would say that. But the question is, is love requires you to do something for somebody else. We know that from the scriptures. You can't love if there's nobody to love, if there's nothing to love. So the, the God of Islam is completely dependent on creation in order to be love. So he couldn't be love until creation was in existence, which therefore it's not a key characteristic of the God of Islam, even though they would claim that it is. Now compare that to the God of scriptures of the New Testament and the Old Testament scriptures. So here we have, we're taught that God is love and that he's been love from eternity past. And we can, we can explain that because of the inner working of the Trinity. So 
the Father has always loved the Son, has always loved the Spirit, and has and has uh, sent out his love to them from eternity. So the reason that God is love is in part because of the inter-Trinitarian relationship that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have enjoyed from eternity. So even before creation, God, God is love and God loved. And I would argue, as, as many of these books do, that the reason that God created is out of love. Go back to the question of if you have a God that, that is just one person, one God, why does he create? What's that? For himself. Usually for himself. So the gods of other religions, you know, the, the various gods, they create in order to have servants. They create empires to be served. Right? That's what Allah does. He creates to be served. Right? Now we know that we serve, we serve our God as well. But it's a key difference as to why he created. God created, the God of the Bible, the Trinitarian God created as an expression of his love. That he loved the Son so much, that love was uh, shared by the, by the Spirit, that God's love goes outward. That true love goes outward. Right? What does sin do to us? It turns us inward. Right? From Eve onward. Right? If you think about sin, it's it's really just it's an inward turn looking at yourself. Right? Whereas God created us to be outwardly focused. And that's what we're told in the scriptures, right? Love is love is um yeah, the the uh, summation of the law is what? Love God, love your neighbor. Right? That's all outward focused, right? So we're to be like God and Love going out, not being turning in. So when we sin, we turn in on ourselves and we just think about ourselves. And we think about, um, you know, doing for ourselves or we don't, we don't think about God. So these are some of the things that really make Christianity distinct. Uh, the fact that, that we know love is because God is love, because he's love from eternity. He's loved the, fa- he loved the son. The father's loved the son from eternity. And, and love the, the spirit uh, from eternity. Um, and, and the concept of the father um, and the son is not something that we, um, again, we cannot import our biological understanding of origination, like biological origination into that relationship. So that, that in the Trinity, the father has always been the father. There was never a time when he was never the father. Um, the son has always been the son. And he's described as the only begotten son. And when I dealt with that in John, in the Gospel of John, I, I took the position that the word begotten really means unique. Um, and I, I'm, I'm rethinking that um, because the word begotten is very important. It, it's confusing when we think about it from the human standpoint, you know, so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so. Um, yeah. So we need to be careful when using the term and, and not projecting a human understanding back onto the relationship between the father and son. But traditionally, and we'll, we'll, in the future, we'll look at like, uh, like the Nicene Creed and, and some of those uh, very helpful uh, statements about the Trinity. 
they're very specific about the Son being begotten, not created. So the Son, in other words, the Son receives life from the Father, but has from eternity. There's been no beginning. Right? So again, that, I, I know that's some of these things are difficult to, to, uh, to think through. But we just go back to the idea of what it, what it means to be a father and a son and, and to realize that uh, rather than trying to understand um, uh, how the son can be the son without being created, we just need to realize that those are the descriptions that God gives himself. And, and there is, uh, if, if the son were created, he could not be God. So that, that obviously can't work. And there are some who... The Arians uh, certainly believe that. Jehovah's Witnesses would, would hold, hold a similar position. So we have to be very careful with the biblical text that, we, that we're getting our knowledge of God from the scriptures and not from the, on the human level and projecting that back onto God. Um, I just, there's so much here that I want to share with you. I'll spill over into other messages because I know we're running out, running out of time. Uh, but it really impacts almost everything. It impacts, the Trinity impacts the gospel. It impacts how we think about love. It impacts how we even think about the wrath of God. Um, and, and the fact that ultimately what, what God wants, and it dovetails in with what I was saying on Sunday about us being heirs of God. God isn't, didn't save you to make you his servant. He didn't. He saved you to make you an heir and to bring you into that unity with him. So he talks about, you know, when the, father, when the son says that he and the father are one, he's not saying they're the same. When you see that oneness, that means a, a unity. And through the grace and mercy of God, God himself brings us ultimately into that unity through the spirit we have it in part now he's drawing us into fellowship right so making us to be more like god but that that's where he's taking us not because he needs to but because that's an expression of his love so i may have um, um, created more questions than i answered but if I did, just write them down and, and email them to me, and those will be helpful to me in, in, in future messages. But I, I just want to encourage you that we have a grand and wonderful God who is very much Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he is marvelous. His goodness overflows in so many ways that I don't think we really have begun uh, to, to... We just scratched the surface of understanding his goodness towards us. So, you know, as I, I, I dig in more and the messages come out more, I look forward to being able to share more of that with you. Uh, there, there might be more tests, but like these are not graded. So, <laughs> so thank, thank you so much for filling out those uh, surveys because that's, that'll be very helpful to me. Um, and uh, the circles, you know, I can't, I can't, if, I, if you're just circling things, I can't do, uh, you know, handwriting recognition um, or anything like that so no I appreciate that um, well let me let me close this in prayer
Yes. 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 Yeah. And and you're getting a lot of just this the spillover of what I'm learning, and I, I thought I could get through more than I did, and I didn't. So that's that's the way it is. But um, but yes. But feel free to ask questions. Uh, email me or talk to me afterwards. If you have questions. All that's all that's very very helpful to me. Um, because you, those kind of questions sometimes help sharpen my own thinking and thinking through things I wouldn't have otherwise. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we, we just want to thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you, Father, that you um, love us. We thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, for, for being the Son and for taking on the, really the humble form of a man and being humbled, um, humbling yourself to the point of death on the cross, and being raised in newness of life after you have died for our sins. And we thank you, Spirit, for working even now in our lives, just helping us to understand our, our God. And there's much that you have revealed yourself to us in the pages of Scripture if we will just take the time to dig and to think carefully about who you are. And Lord, we just ask that you help us to understand what you have revealed about us. Lord, there's plenty that you haven't revealed that we, we, uh, we, we can't understand, but what you have revealed, we can. And we just ask that you would, you would aid us. And Holy Spirit, just open our eyes to, to rightly understand the scriptures about who you are and just uh, fill us with your joy as we learn more about you your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.